Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is Plush Care. Plush Care is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. Welcome, welcome, welcome to the Raptors Over Everything podcast. Rate, review, and subscribe on your podcast platforms. And if you're watching on YouTube, like Thumbs up, follow us all season. We're going to be here for a long, long time. Joining me today is Ben Golliver of the Washington Post and co-host of the greatest of all NBA podcasts. You may not have seen it. You may have, maybe not. He wrote a piece recently about why the Raptors are the sleeping giants of the Eastern Conference. And I'm not sure if you're trying to pander to the Raptor fan base. Um, it probably worked because I'm sure you got some more Raptor followers out of it on, on Twitter or wherever. But thank you so much for joining me, man. Um, it's great to talk to you. Well, I don't know about the pandering uh, accusation there. I've had my <laughs> share of wars with Raptors fans over the years. I think we had differences of opinion about uh, the playoff quality of DeMar DeRozan. You know, like that one kind of sticks out. But yeah. the Raptors, to me, they're kind of in a fascinating spot right now where everybody yeah. else is trying to load up for this instant moment. And the Raptors are just kind of sitting back and chilling a little bit and seeing where things are going to go. It's a beautiful thing watching Masai Ujiri and company go about their work. You recently took a little trip to, to Canada. Where did you go? Well, I've been, this is what I'm talking about with the back and forth with the Raptors fans. So I wow. love national parks. A lot of people know I love national parks. I kept hearing from Canadians, look, we have the best national parks in the world. If you think Yellowstone okay. and Yosemite are good, wait till you see Banff, wait till you see Jasper. So I spent a couple of weeks up there. Um, just on vacation, just got back a couple of days ago. I mean, it was absolutely breathtaking, spectacular. I guess they got some wildfires going on in Jasper right now. So thoughts out to those people. Mm. Hopefully everyone's okay still, uh, but just a phenomenal vacation. You get those turquoise lakes, you get the wildlife with the moose and oh, the black bears stuff. and the grizzly bears. Hard to beat it, man. Hard to beat it. You've seen more of Canada than I have because <laughs> I haven't <laughs> been uh, out of Ontario too much. I've been to Quebec a little bit, but outside of that, that's pretty much it. So you've seen more of this great country than uh, than myself. But uh, hey, I mean, it's great that uh, you got that experience because uh, Canada has a lot to offer from what I understand. <laughs> well, I was getting the sense that there might be some Ontario resentment out there in Alberta. You know, there might be a little bit of a rivalry. I'm not sure they like the big city guys like yourself. So I don't know. Maybe, 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 maybe you might not be far off of there. Probably right. <laughs> um, it well, is what it I, is. I, I yeah, I love my time in uh, Toronto as well. I mean, obviously, 2019 finals uh, and, yeah. and the All-Star weekend, which was like one of the coldest experiences of my life. So I can kind of go both ways with it. But it was nice to get out to some nice, fresh, open air. You know, that's what it's all about during the summer. You know what bothers me about that All-Star game is that that was uh, an untypically cold day. Because usually on that, like, you know, mid-February or so, there could be some cold days. But I remember, like, the following couple of years afterwards, it, it was beautiful. Like, beautiful for winter. But on that particular day, that weekend, it was, like, some of the worst weather I've seen since I've been in Toronto. And I've been here since, like, 2010. So it, it still sticks with me. Like, people probably have, like, that memory of what the All-Star game was, that it was a very cold experience. But it's not always like that. Trust me. <laughs> no, I understand that. I've heard that story from a lot of people as well. Yeah. You know, I just remember walking out of the arena one night 
and having my uh, then editor at SI, Matt Dollinger, kind of watch me walk into the snow and just think I might never see him again. You know, he was like worried <laughs> for my safety. I'm not sure I was dressed appropriately. I don't, you know, down here in California, I don't have a ton of uh, the Canada goose jackets and all that stuff you guys are rocking yeah. up there. So I, uh, if it ever happens again, I'll be more mentally prepared. But look, Cleveland mm. was pretty rough this past February too. Yeah, so this true. is a Toronto yeah. only thing, you know? Yeah. Hey, if you got a can of goose jacket around here, that means you're making some money. Those things are not cheap. I'll put it that way. <laughs> All the Raptors have it for a reason. Okay. Um, your piece. Sleeping Giants, the Toronto Raptors. Uh, some things have happened within the Eastern Conference. There's been some jockeying. Teams are obviously making their move because, hey, it's going to be an incredibly competitive like conference. Eight, nine teams. You don't really know where teams are going to be necessarily uh, ending up. You got the Boston Celtics, Milwaukee Bucks. They're probably like the cream of the crop, so to speak. But then after that, gets kind of murky. But then that's why your piece about the Raptors, kind of out of nowhere, was so interesting. What prompted you to make this? Well, I first started thinking about just team building and this kind of topic when I heard from an executive, I think probably back in February or March, telling me that impatience was like at an all-time high. Like he, he mm. felt like he had never seen so many of his fellow peers looking to make moves to win now, feeling the pressure to kind of put, uh, you know, the future almost as a secondary thought. And it was all about trying to, you know, put these teams together. And you understand superstars, guys in their 30s are driving some of that, right? You've got, you know, Kevin Durant, James Harden, LeBron James. Yeah. Uh, the list goes on of various star players who are kind of feeling the clock ticking, right? And you're seeing the teams really aggressively sacrifice future draft picks to kind of put themselves in a position to compete for titles. You can go right down the list, but obviously Brooklyn, the Clippers with what they did with Paul George and, and Kawhi Leonard going back to 2019, the Lakers, of course. But now we're even seeing kind of copycat syndrome, right, where you get the Philadelphia 76ers in the mix. Even teams like the Minnesota Timberwolves and the Cleveland Cavaliers are now sacrificing sure. a lot of future uh, draft picks to you know position themselves – Maybe they're contenders, but I don't really view them as contenders, right? So you just have mm. a lot of this uh, keep your foot on the gas type mentality. And so it made me think, well, who's going the other way, right? And obviously you have the teams that are totally tanking. I'm talking about Oklahoma City and Utah and those kinds of teams. But the Raptors are this fascinating counterexample of a team that's kind of zigging when everyone else is zagging, right? Yeah. You look at their books. They have no bad contracts whatsoever. They have multiple all-stars with Pascal Siakam and Fred Van Vliet. They've got some rising young players, most notably Scotty Barnes, and they own all their picks going forward, right? So the point of my story was like the optionality that's involved with Toronto's future is just completely wide open. There's all these other organizations where you get three, four years down the road and they're going to be stuck. You know, the Sixers are going to be stuck in three or four years. They're going to be sort yeah. of like uh, the James Harden Houston Rockets a couple mm -hmm. years ago, right? And for Masai Ujiri and the Raptors, well, if they wanted to take a really long-term approach, they could build this whole thing around Scotty Barnes, you know, cash in all their assets to get him a number two superstar and then kind of go forward that way. They could even go for it right now if they wanted. They could have had the best Kevin Durant trade package of any team on the market this summer if they really wanted to put some of their players into that package and some of their future picks. And then they could try to split the difference a little bit and just continue rolling with kind of a steady – you know, 50-win type thing, build around Pascal, build around Fred Van Vliet, and then just kind of have it naturally roll over into Scotty Barnes's era. There's just very few teams out there that have this level of talent, this level of flexibility, 
And then also the proven ability to win at a high level. I mean, you've yeah. got a great coach in Nick Nurse, great front office, ownership group that's spending money. Um, I understand people are going to say, well, do players want to go play in Toronto? I mean, that's always kind of lingering as this like negative talking point, right? But if you're just saying who's positioned to be like at the head of the crop, or sorry, the head of the class, like maybe, you know, 2025, I like the Toronto Raptors situation a lot better than Brooklyn, which almost fell apart yeah. this summer, a lot better than Philadelphia and a lot better than some of these other um, Eastern Conference contenders whose star players are probably just going to age out, right? So this yeah. wasn't a sleeping giant article for this season. I do really like this Toronto Raptors team and their grit and how they play defense and their interchangeable lineups. But this is more of a, a three- to four-year uh, thought experiment of, like, what's the NBA going to look like a couple years down the road? If Scotty Barnes hits, man, this team could be in a really special place. Sure thing. The A line that I liked in your story was the quote from John Wooden, who counseled not to mistake activity for achievement. If people want to read it, I'll put it in the YouTube uh, description and also the description on the podcast platform. But that's kind of it, is that they're being extremely patient and they're not going to be swayed from uh, their position on what they're trying to achieve in the next few years, which is eventually a title contender. But there are so many cases where you see a team make a trade and we could be looking at the Atlanta Hawks where they just traded so many picks for DeJounte Morey where they're feeling the pressure and their team collectively may not be at the level title ready. They're not necessarily like a player away like the Raptors were in 2019 when they got Kawhi Leonard, but they're close or they're building towards it. But then you make a move like this and now you're probably putting some players in a position where you're asking them to be, you know, a true six person, seventh person in your rotation on a championship title contender but they're not there yet and that's where you lose in the second round third round and then a blow-up happens just like we saw with the utah jazz the whole league is so thankful that the utah jazz decided to blow this up danny Ainge, thank you sir what a what a great bunch of storylines we had for the throughout this offseason um what do you think are the pillars of a good front office. Um, there have been many archetypes, creations of franchises and championship teams over the past, you know, numerous years. But now as the NBA is shifting to a different style of basketball, how do you think that's changed? Obviously, I would probably say, as you said, patience is one of the things that is very important. Well, I think, you know, the, the kind of classic skills you need to have if you're an executive You've got to have a good eye for talent, right? You've got to have a, a firm understanding for trends in terms of how does winning basketball take place. You have to have the networks and the, the communication ability, both with players, but also with agents. You have to have those kinds of relationships. You have to be a kind of a man of integrity, quote unquote, or woman of integrity to be able to be viewed properly and to have your shot at, at some of these players. I think the other really key aspect that some teams miss, though, it's the self-awareness bit, right? It's understanding mm. what your strengths and weaknesses are as an organization. What are your competitive advantages relative to other teams? And what are your competitive disadvantages, right? I mean, look, Miami is going to be Miami forever. It's always going to have nice weather down there, right? I live yeah. in L.A. for a reason. Uh, L.A. is going to be <laughs> attracting free agents for a long time, right? But what Masai Ujiri did that was so brilliant was we the North. Let's give this organization an identity. Let's bring in these fans from across the country. Mm. Let's make sure that uh, you know they understand we're going to the playoffs confident. Maybe he takes a fine, you know, swearing at a, at a rally <laughs> to get people fired up a little bit. Yeah. Um, give some, you know, give uh, you know, almost like a rallying cry for the fans to understand that, like, look, we might be the outsider, quote unquote, because we're the international NBA team. But that could be a benefit, not just a yeah. minus, right? And so 
Um, the self-awareness bit to me is huge to know when to go in, you know, to go all in. Um, you know, you mentioned the Hawks. I'm with you. They, they gave up a lot for DeJounte Murray. I mean, to me, he's kind of a fringe all-star level player. He's not the guy who's going to take them over the top. Was that the right move? But they're feeling pressure probably from Trey Young. They want to win now. Sure. They want to kind of get back into that playoff mix. And so you kind of understand why they did it. But, you know, to, to be able to take a step back, to survey the whole landscape and to know when is the time to strike, that yeah. is one of the trickiest, uh, you know, attributes to have. And, and I kind of call that self-awareness. But the, the, the clearest example of that was the Kawhi Leonard trade from uh, Masai Ujiri. There's a lot of Raptors fans who would not have traded DeMar DeRozan over their dead body, no matter what hey, they say now in hindsight. Right. Yeah. It was a cold, it was kind of a cold-blooded, very calculated move by Masai Ujiri, but he completely won the deal and it did it at the exact right moment. Obviously, it pays off with the title and really sets them up for what's been a, a nice five-year run uh, for the yeah. Toronto Raptors with the one exception of that Tampa season, which I'm sure you guys just never talk about and probably will never bring up again. <laughs> No, nope. uh, never going I mean. either. I mean, never going to Tampa yeah, ever. <laughs> self-awareness, knowing when to go all in, yeah. knowing when, hey, look, we've got Kyle Lowry and we need to make sure that we make the most of this era with him. Uh, let's go and, and grab a Marcus Saul, a Serge Ibaka, uh, you know, understanding mm. that we are actually in that time period ready to win now. And then being able to flip it back around the other way and say, well, maybe it is time to get unload Kyle Lowry. You know, maybe yeah. it's not great to kind of carry him through the very last stages of his career, let the Miami heat worry about those problems. Right. And sure. uh, I think, you know, that's uh, to me, something that really defines a quality front office. Yeah. And Masai has earned um, the respect of MLSE because of the moves that he's made and how he's put the uh, franchise in a position to be successful. I believe since he arrived, I think they're third in wins overall since that time. Um, that means something. And I think back, you mentioned the DeMar DeRozan trade. I think back to that press conference he did once the trade was announced and it turned out that he had just come from a workout and that's why he was sweating so much. But that was the top. He's like, why is he sweating so much? And also in that, <laughs> like he was being grilled by reporters saying, why did you do this? Why are you trading for Kawhi Leonard? He's going to leave. He's not going to stay here. How healthy is he? And at one point he shot back saying at the same time, like I, I appreciate coach Casey. I appreciate DeMar DeRozan. He's like, but I gave them a chance. I gave them lots of reps. At some point, you have to change it up. And that's the reason why he did this. He sensed, he felt that you could see the team that they were there. They were coming off, you know, finishing number one in the Eastern Conference. Things were looking very good for them. And they just needed that one piece. And then Kawhi Leonard just happened to happen. And then obviously the rest is history. But the the buy-in from the franchise and from management, I think is very important. You mentioned the, the patience and being able to take your step towards stardom as a franchise at the same time within when you're in sync with um, the expectations of your owners and you know recently i think of what happened with donovan mitchell and uh the new york knicks are thinking we had him we thought we had him but what happened and i'm not sure like maybe we can just have the conversation now but i wonder if there were there's a lot of personnel within the new york knicks and there's a lot of very talented people i wonder if there at times there is a bit of jockeying saying i value this player more than this player I think this is the way to go. But then another person who has every right to say, I'm not sure about that stuff like that, the jockeying for position within upper management, not doesn't just happen, you know, um, on the floor. It happens like also within franchises and making sure that everyone is completely in sync with the vision is really key. Yeah. I mean, the Knicks situation, I just feel like they got way too cute with it. They felt like they yeah. were sitting with that, that biggest stack of chips. They felt <laughs> like they were going to be able to beat any offer out. 
If you thought the only way to get a more defined jawline with natural-looking results was through surgery, think again. Juvederm Volux XC is a non-surgical injectable gel filler that improves moderate to severe loss of jawline definition and can help you achieve natural-looking results with little downtime. Even better, this improved definition lasts up to one year with optimal treatment. No maintenance required. Improve jawline definition for a smooth, sculpted look with Juvederm Volux XC. For important safety information and to find a licensed specialist, visit Juvederm.com. That's J-U-V-E-D-E-R-M.com. Not for people with severe allergic reactions, allergies to lidocaine, or the proteins used in Juvederm. Common side effects include injection site redness, swelling, pain, tenderness, firmness, lumps, bumps, bruising, discoloration, or itching. There's a risk of unintentional injection into a blood vessel, which can cause vision abnormalities, blindness, stroke, temporary scabs, or scarring. Talk to a licensed specialist to find out if it's right for you. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else. Even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. And at some point when you're dragging this thing out for months, it didn't need to be that complicated. Look how quickly Danny Ainge got the Rudy Gobert deal done, right? Minnesota paid a premium price, but they got it taken care of like two months ago. I mean, we've already almost forgotten about that trade because so many other things have happened since then. I think they were just trying to kind of squeeze around the margins. And Danny was like, all right, guys, come on. We know how badly you want him. You're sitting courtside at his playoff game yeah. like a bunch of goofballs. Like, <laughs> come on, you know, uh, just pay up and we can make this good. And you don't want to feel like you're getting nickel and dimed. And I think he got a pretty nice trade with, a, you know, a trade package from the Cleveland Cavaliers for Donovan Mitchell. So I thought Utah had a great summer. And again, this goes back to the self-awareness point. Yeah. They knew they had gone as far as they could. They understood that the chemistry between Donovan Mitchell mm-hmm. and Rudy Gobert wasn't quite right and probably wasn't going to ever be completely repairable, right? Yeah. They knew that they lose a guy like Joe Ingles. They had nobody to replace him. They don't have anybody on the wings to guard the big-time wings in, this, uh, you know, the, in the playoff environment. So they're pretty much uh, dead men walking. And to be able to look in the mirror and say, hey, we've got to go completely the other direction. And if we're going to do that, we better have as many assets as possible to do mm. it. And hopefully we get Victor in, in the 2023 draft and things will work mm. out, right? So uh, I actually think Utah did a great job. It's a, it's a great counterexample to uh, the Raptors where they're retooling yeah. on the fly. They understand they have some young talent they can kind of keep making it work with. Utah wasn't in that spot. And so they just completely pulled the plug. I want to get your thoughts on this because this is an ongoing hilarious thing that happens at every single NBA draft, it feels like, and that the Raptors somehow every time a player like you have Woj and Shams and everyone and they're leaking the picks as they happen. But with the Raptors, there isn't a leak. It doesn't happen until like maybe like seconds before the Raptors are like, you're watching it live. And it happened just in this past draft with Christian Coloco. Like we're watching it and three seconds, two seconds, one seconds, and no one sent a tweet yet because there hasn't been a leak within the Raptors brass about who they're going to be drafting. How does stuff like that happen? Because I I've always found it funny and we all kind of wait for it to and expect it to happen. And then it does. It's strange. (laughs) 
Well, every organization approaches those kinds of uh, decisions differently, right? I mean, sometimes it's a matter of they're waiting up until the last second, whether it's a trade or, yeah. uh, you know, just maybe even deciding who's going to be available. Now, when you're drafting that high, you typically have a pretty good idea of who you're going to be getting, right? Um, usually it comes down to the personality and the philosophy of the lead executive in the room, right? There are some guys who are uh, MBA executives who are incredibly paranoid and protective of all of their intel, right? And mm. um, usually those are the guys who don't want anything to leak. But at the same time, uh, you know, the draft is kind of a made-for-TV event, right? And so I think there yeah. are more and more executives who are like, all right, you know, we know the fans are excited. Let's go ahead and, uh, you know, get this uh, pick out to the media so everybody can kind of celebrate and have a good time with it. And you know, sometimes it, it leaks from the other side, you know, the player side where an agent's super excited to have his guy go a few mm. spots early. So he wants to be the guy who makes sure everybody knows about it. Um, yeah. There's a lot of different way those things can come out, but, you know, typically, um, you know, there, it just goes by the the front office's personality, right? You know, if, yeah. if your main guy is saying we're keeping this thing locked down and you're his assistant GM or you're the, the scouting mm. director, you're not going to be in the bathroom texting somebody, Hey, here's who sure. we're going to take because, uh, you know, you don't want to make the boss mad. So, you know, a lot of it just comes down to personality. Yeah. At his end of season um, this year and uh, Masai Ujiri, he's like, he's must watch TV anytime he speaks. He only does it maybe once or twice a season, but anytime he does, you get some real value out of it. And one of the things that I found interesting that he said is he felt like every team, you need a vision, whatever it is, like it may not work. It might work. It might be the wrong path, but you need a vision. You have to like execute. And he mentioned the Golden State Warriors, where they started and where they got to. And now the Raptors investing in like vision six, eight, six, nine, whatever you want to call it. Um, that is kind of what they're doing. They're saying, we're going to try this. And the buy-in has happened from, you know, a Bobby Webster, a person that Masai Ujiri brought on, Nick Nurse as well. How important is it to have like that synergy between like those three specific Specifically, your, I mean, Masai is like a, a damn near god with an MLSE, but like your president, um, your GM, and your coach. How important is that synergy to making sure that you are putting the best uh, product on the floor and also that there isn't necessarily unrest within an organization? Look, alignment is absolutely key to winning. So I would even expand it. It needs to be owner, uh, president, GM, yeah. uh, coach, and superstar player. You know, if the, all those people are aligned, they share the same vision for the team. They share the mm -hmm. same goal. That's how you're going to be able to win a title. If one of those pieces is off, it's going to be, you know, much trickier. Um, you know, a good example actually is the Warriors that year where KD was a little bit upset and frustrated. Yeah. You know, the alignment started to get a little bit shaky there. He's pushing back on Steve Kerr and some press conferences. You know, it's just a distraction and, and the whole mood kind of goes the other direction, right? Uh, on this point about vision, though, with the Toronto Raptors, I remember having an interview with Bobby Webster the year after the title season. And I was so impressed because it was very early in that year, but he was already you know, pitching it as the we're going to run it back season. These guys yeah. have earned the right to be able to um, just compete as much as they can. And, uh, you know, that was especially for Kyle, but, uh, you know, Pascal Siakam and OG Ananobi and all the rest of those guys. Right. And even without Kawhi. It was, you know, we still believe we have what it takes. You look at their record point differential and all that stuff for that season. That was a really, really impressive team, uh, you know, coming out that of that title special run. Team. Special team. And, you know, it was just amazing the disconnect, I guess, between his vision, the internal vision, which I'm sure is coming from Masai as well, and the external uh, perception, which is, oh, the Raptors are done because they don't have Kawhi and you're never going to win a title yeah. without him, right? And that's kind of how it pays off, right? That's a really tough blow for any organization to take, have your finals MVP, 
just bounce to LA, mm. you know, the, the champagne's not even dry. Right. And uh, you know, he's, he's already out of there, yeah. but they were not shaken at all. And it was very clear to me early in that season, they were, they still had their focus. They still had their vision. And uh, that really, you know, that, that really let me know this, this organization's a little bit different. This is not who they were even three, four years mm. ago before that they've really matured and grown together. Yeah. And uh, I mean, you mentioned the, the stereotype out there, no players want to come to Toronto, even though, at that press conference with Kawhi Leonard and Danny Green beside him. And Masai was asked about this, you know, how are we going to re-sign Kawhi? And granted, you know, he left and everything like that. But he's like, listen, that narrative is dead. It's over. It's gone. It's not there anymore. And maybe that's true. Maybe it's not. But I think over the past few seasons with a player, I think of a Justin Champagne, who is on a non-guaranteed contract, but he was, um, he had a chance to be a second round draft pick last year. And he said, I don't want to be a second round draft pick because um, he's like, I, I think there's more for myself. And uh, I think I can probably sell myself to a different franchise and make my name. And he said, he told his agent, I want to be a Toronto Raptor. And then surely enough, he is a Toronto Raptor. We'll see how things go in training camp. But in the end, and um, I think the way that Masai has decided that we are going to attract players, it's through the traditional sides. It's uh, stable management. It's a great culture, great fan base. We're going to invest in you to help you become the best version of yourself. Nick Nurse loves talking about my goal is to make uh, every player reach their peak value in the NBA. Like why? Like a player must love hearing that, you know? Well, absolutely. And, you know, they've also taken care of guys who have earned contracts like Kyle Lowry, right? I mean, that famous conversation between Masai and Kyle, of like, look, if you want to, you know, if you want to get paid, basically, you got to step up yeah. and play better. And sure enough, you know, he kind of turns in a career year and has the, a career windfall, right? Yeah. Um, the developmental aspect to me is what stands out about Toronto. You know, it's kind of shades of the Spurs, you know, from back yeah. in the day where Pascal Siakam was not supposed to be an all NBA level player, you know, when he was coming out of the draft whatsoever. Fred Van Vliet, you know, he was mm -hmm. completely off the radar. He comes in and is averaging 40 plus minutes a night last year, I think. I mean, he was among the league leaders in yeah. minutes played, just logging an absolutely huge load, uh, putting up really, really big numbers uh, for the Toronto Raptors. And those are developmental success stories. The more you have of those, and then the more you have of guys who are cashing in on that kind of growth. Yeah. That helps build your reputation around the league as a place people would want to go. But there are certain factors you can't work around. I mean, weather is a real one. Um, you know, mm -hmm. international travel is a real one. I mean, that is going to be kind of a hang up maybe for the super duper stars when they're deciding yeah. where do they want to set up. But I also think Toronto's come a long way in terms of being a, a marketing location as well. Right. Like you're getting big deals. If you're with the Raptors, you're selling a lot of jerseys if you're with the Raptors and Maybe they could be on television down here a little bit more often. That would probably help. Uh, but, you know, beyond that, it's it's really transformed from where it was, you know, even in like DeMar's early years or even the yeah. Chris, Chris Bosch years where it did feel like that was a place you were trying to get out of as opposed to a place you're going to, right? Mm -hmm. The Raptors seem to have invested a little bit more and maybe not, maybe you have a, a different opinion on this, but they have invested in the overseas right? And finding talent and scouting them. And I think most franchises do this in some capacity, but to me, it seems like the Raptors are doing a little bit more than others. Look no further than Christian Coloco. They've been scouting him for like five years or so. And uh, Africa in particular is a, is a spot where they have invested time and resources into finding up and coming talent. And when you go a step further and I find that the players that they decide to bring in, um, Masai, he loves talking about, like, you know, I can, we can teach skill, 
you can't teach character, you can't teach height, you can't teach athleticism. Those those are things that a player just must have. And if they don't have it, then um, it's going to show itself at some point. Just on that, like, what are your thoughts on something like that? Because I think the Raptors are unique in in that sense that those are the few of the pillars that they focus on. And they think that, you know, once we get the player in the system, the rest of that stuff is going to work out because we trust our staff. Well, I mean, when you're talking about the international part for the Raptors, yeah. I mean, how many other organizations are basically trying to conquer a continent, right? Like, that's yeah. really what Masai Ujiri is trying to do, right? I mean, he's trying to go there and build up infrastructure across that yeah. entire continent, putting a league in place. And his vision for Africa has become the NBA's vision for Africa. Mm-hmm. You know, they've now got training centers in Africa for teenagers. Uh, they have the Africa Basketball League where they're really trying to, like, have a competitive environment good courts, uh, you know, good training, good coaching to sort of yeah. help these guys get into the pipeline so they can even get to the, uh, to the United States and, and play in the NBA. So um, I've had some people tell me, like, like, if you hit fast forward 30 years on the NBA, the percentage of African players or African-born players could be yeah. tripled. I mean, could it be even more than that? Um, and so it's, it's kind of cool that he's on the cutting edge of that. And, and clearly it's personal to him. Um, you know, obviously, uh, now in terms of just, you know, this goes back to kind of finding the little competitive edges and knowing who you are as an organization. Yeah. If you're the only NBA team in Canada, right. There's going to be a stigma probably just a little bit, whether it's spoken or unspoken sure. about, Hey, you know, you're a little bit different than everybody else, but you yeah. can spin that and say, well, we're a giant metropolis here in Toronto and any player who's international can come here and feel at home, right? Well, yeah. perfect. You know, you're not going to hear the kind of complaints probably from uh, international players who are going there. So uh, to me, it's just a natural uh, uh, emerging of Masai's mm. background, his interests, but then also, uh, again, a, a part of your identity as an organization. Final question here before I let you go. Do you think NBA players value front office personnel and their track records more than they did 10 years ago, 15 years ago, 20 years ago? Well, did you hear LeBron at All-Star Weekend uh, talking about <laughs> Sam Presti when he's like, God, Sam Presti makes these incredible moves. And he just rattled yeah. off every single guy <laughs> Sam Presti had drafted for yeah. like nine straight drafts. We're all sitting there like, what is this guy talking about right now? This is wild. <laughs> um, I think the, the best guys think about it, right? You know, I, you have to look at every aspect of an organization from ownership yeah. uh, to coach and all of that. Unfortunately or fortunately, depending on how you look at it, uh, I think players have been interested in exerting maximum influence in certain situations, really high-level players, over the front office or with the front office, right? You look at what's happened with the Brooklyn Nets. Kyrie Irving was calling himself a co-owner, practically. You know, I mean, with, you know, talking about Joe Psy and we're going to manage this thing together. And that has not worked out at all for them, right? Uh, You look at the Lakers. I mean, the influence of clutch sports on the Lakers is massive. You look at the moves that they've made for the last three or four years. I mean, it's very clear they've got their fingers on a lot of this stuff. So sure. um, to me, there needs to be a healthy balance. There should be a separation of uh, you know church and state, so to speak, between let the front office do their job, let the players do their job, but come together and you know strategize and brainstorm a little bit. Um, but if you look at the two organizations that were in the finals this year, Golden State and uh, Boston, homegrown teams with really smart, savvy front offices who made some pretty tough calculating decisions along the way to put their teams in position to do it and have really strong bonds with their star players, you know, the Celtics and Tatum, uh, Curry and the Warriors. I mean, those guys are locked in there, right? So I think to me, that's kind of the healthiest model. Um, I guess if the question is, can a president or can a front office be like a lure 
for a superstar in free agency. I mean, we're probably waiting to see more examples of that, but mm. James Harden went to Philly. You know, it's not a coincidence that yeah. Daryl Morey is the guy who was there to pay him. So relationships and reputation absolutely matters. There's no question about it. And a lot of this comes back to winning. And if the Raptors are still, you know, the, the winningest team in the Eastern Conference 15 years from now, just like they've been for the last eight years or so, um, you know, that's going to continue to pay dividends when they're trying to attract talent. He's Ben Golliver of the Washington Post. Uh, sir, thank you so much for joining me. What's coming up for you? Where can people find your your work? What are you working on? That kind of fun stuff. Well, season's right around the corner. So we're getting into preview yeah. season, obviously, which is going to be a lot of fun. But uh, people could check me out uh, at Ben Golliver on Twitter, uh, WashingtonPost.com slash sports for all the, uh, the writing. And then greatestofalltalk.com is the podcast. Beautiful. Thank you so much uh, for joining me today. Great chat. Love talking about why the Raptors are a sleeping giant and why they're one of the best organizations in the NBA. So always fun. Um, thank you so much, everyone. Hope you enjoyed the listen. We'll talk to you soon. When you make decisions for your company, you look for the no-brainers. If you have a lot of mailing to do, Stamps.com is the ultimate no-brainer. Use the Stamps.com mobile app to mail everything you need to keep your business running with up to 89% off USPS and UPS. Make the same no-brainer decision as over 1 million other businesses with Stamps.com. Use code PROGRAM for a special offer. That's Stamps.com, code PROGRAM.